Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Good morning. Good to see all of you here today. Glad you could be with us this morning. Some of you have asked, because in the book of the Philippians that we have been looking at for quite some time now, some of you have asked, what is the day of Christ? Because in the first 11 verses, which we have been in for quite some time, in the first 11 verses, the Apostle Paul has mentioned the day of Christ twice. And some of you are not familiar with that term. Some of you are not familiar with what that is, what that means. And so I'm, I've asked the Lord, and he said it was okay, to take some time to walk through uh, the next two events that we are looking forward to. The next two main events, left in prophecy, by the way, two major events that the prophets have spoken about, both Old Testament and New Testament, that have not occurred yet, that have not taken place yet, but will take place, and I believe will take place very soon. Those two great events are the day, the day of the Lord and the day of Christ Jesus. And since the Apostle Paul has mentioned the day of Christ Jesus twice, we're going to be taking a look at that because that will affect, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the day of Christ is the next big event in your life. It's the next big event in your life. If you are not a Christian, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have never confessed uh, your sin to the Lord and invited Him into your life, then the next big event in your life is the day of the Lord. And I will tell you at this point in time, you do not want to experience the day of the Lord. And we'll take a look at that this morning and reference the day of Christ and begin to look at the day of Christ in just a little while. I want you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Shouldn't be hard for you to find. It's the first book and the first chapter in Scripture. Genesis chapter 1. Now as you're turning there, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul spoke of the day of Christ Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 10, in chapter 2, verse 16, he mentioned the day of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul mentioned the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he mentioned it twice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, the Apostle Paul spoke of the day of the Lord Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, he spoke of the day of of our Lord Jesus. In six New Testament passages, the Apostle Paul wrote of the day of Christ, the day of Christ Jesus, the day of our Lord Jesus, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the only one in the New Testament to mention it. He is the only one of the writers of the New Testament to mention the day of Christ. As a matter of fact, he is the only one in Scripture to mention the day of Christ. The day of Christ is not mentioned in the Old Testament at all, but the day of the Lord is mentioned in the Old Testament a number of times. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament speaks of the day of the Lord uh, 20 times, at least 20 times, the day of the Lord is mentioned. But again, the day of Christ is not mentioned. In the New Testament, 
you find the day of the Lord mentioned three times, specifically by the Apostle Peter. And the day of Christ is mentioned seven times in the New Testament. But there are a number of passages in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, that speak of the day of the Lord and that speak of the day of Christ, but do not use those terms. But I want to tell you this morning that even though there is mentioned the day of the Lord, and there are graphic descriptions of the day of the Lord both in the Old and New Testament, and the Bible speaks of the day of Christ, and there are descriptions of the day of Christ, the two are not the same. The two are not the same. The day of the Lord is spoken only by the prophets of the Old Testament and by the apostles Peter and Paul in the New Testament. The day of Christ is spoken only by the apostle Paul in the New Testament. But they are two separate and distinct events, so do not confuse them. Now I have a little chart in your sermon notes. You can look at that uh, in your bulletin if you want to, but that is just a very, very cursory introduction to the difference between the day of the Lord and the day of Christ. But I want to emphasize again that they are not the same event. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, before we get into the meat of all of this, we need to understand what the word day means. And you may very well say, well, duh, we all know what day means. Well, you may know what the day means in English, but you may not necessarily know what the day means biblically. And so we need to give you just an idea of the word day and how it is used in Scripture because day does not necessarily mean a 24-hour period of time. It does mean that in some instances, but it doesn't always mean that. I want you to look in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 3, 4, and 5. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 3, 4, and 5. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. This, of course, is the creation narrative. This is the account of the creation and God, in verse 3, said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light, what? Day. Day. And the darkness he called, what? Night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Here, the word day is a period of time when the light shines when the light is shining. Now, of course, in verse 5, you have the exchange or the interchange between light and darkness, between day and night. And this becomes the prototype of what a 24-hour day will look like. And I say that it's the prototype because the sun and the moon and the stars haven't been created at this point in time. You just have the existence of light and you have the existence of darkness and you have the exchange between that which is light and that which is darkness and that which is light is called day and that which is darkness is called night. But it's the prototype of what a 24-hour day and night would be. In verse 5, and I've already mentioned this, but I'll just emphasize it one more time. Here... You have day as interchanging with night. You have light interchanging with darkness. But again, the sun, moon, and stars have not been created at this point in time. But there is an exchange between what is light and what is dark. What is day and what is night. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 14... Look at verse 14. And then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of heaven, in the heavens, 
to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also, and God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. So even though God created light and darkness on day one of creation, the sun, moon, and stars were not created until the fourth day. And that which is called light, the energy, uh, all that makes light, light, was then confined to these orbs that God created and placed in the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now we have the proper exchange of what you and I know to be nighttime and daytime, a 24-hour period, day and night. But it doesn't just end there in Genesis chapter 2. Turn over to the right. You have the conclusion of this narrative of creation ending in chapter 2, verse 3. And you have a second narrative of creation, looking at creation from a different point of view, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 4. Now, creation is creation, and God created all things that exist, the, these, are new, these are not two separate creations. These are the same account. These are the, they both speak of the same event of creation, but from two different perspectives. It's like the Gospels. You have the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all speak of the life of Jesus Christ, but from different points of view. From the viewpoint of Matthew, the viewpoint of John Mark, the viewpoint of Luke, and the viewpoint of the Apostle John, but they're all talking about the life of Christ. Here you have the story of creation, but from two different points of view. Bless you. So now in chapter 2, verse 4, look. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, in Hebrew, the idea of heavens and the earth, when you have that, that pairing together of heavens and the earth, the, the apostle, the prophet Moses is not talking about just the earth particular and the heaven particular. When you combine both of these together, he's talking about all of creation. He's talking about the created universe. So when he says in verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth, he is saying this is the account of the creation. This is the account of God's creating the entire universe summed up in the heavens and in the earth. But notice he also says when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Here, day does not mean a 24-hour period. Because we know from the creation account in chapter 1 that it took God six days to create all that had been created, and he rested on the seventh. Here in this account, Moses is saying that God created all things, and he used six days to do that, but to sum it all up, he said, this is the period of time in which God created all things, and he calls it day. It's not a 24-hour period of time. It is a period of time for a specific event. And the specific event is creation. But it's not restricted to 24 hours. It is limited to the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest. And yet he calls it day. Now, we need to understand that. Because when we talk about the day of the Lord and when we talk about the day of Christ, Scripture is not talking about 
a particular one 24-hour period of time. It is talking about a time when a certain event is going to take place. And we'll find this here in just a moment when we take a closer look at the day of the Lord. In the New Testament, you have two words for day. And basically, the New Testament considers day in those two aspects as well. A 24-hour period of time today, Monday, Sunday, Saturday, so on and so forth, a particular day. But the New Testament also uses the word day to speak of a period of time, not necessarily 24 hours. And we'll get to that as well. Now, I want to focus our attention on the day of the Lord. So I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 13 because this is the first place in which the day of the Lord is mentioned. You said, well, I thought we were going to talk about the day of Christ. We will talk about the day of Christ, but not just yet. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9, 10, and 11. And the reason that I want to do it this way because if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it, it would be a great blessing to your heart to know what Jesus has saved you from. It will be a blessing to know what you're going to miss because you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you need to know what's awaiting you in the future. You need to realize what's going to be happening after the day of Christ has come. So Isaiah chapter 13, let's look at it please, starting in verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Now I'm going to stop right there. And you need to understand that there is more than one day of the Lord. There is only one day of Christ. Okay? There is only one day of Christ. But there have been in biblical history several days of the Lord. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Behold, Isaiah says, the day of the Lord is coming. Cruel. Cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation. And he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. Now turn to Zephaniah. Turn right and go to the prophet Zephaniah. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naam, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So you're close to the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah, not Zechariah, but Zephaniah. Chapter 1. Right after the book of Habakkuk. Zephaniah, chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse 14. It may take you a minute or two to find Zephaniah. We're not uh, as familiar with some of these Old Testament prophets as we need to be. But Zephaniah also speaks of the day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. He says, Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen. The day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly. 
A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. And I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. The day of the Lord. Now there are other passages in the Old Testament that we could cite, but you get the picture. The day of the Lord is going to be a terrible, horrifying day of pain and suffering and judgment. Isaiah and Zephaniah both say that it will be a day that is cruel. And the word cruel means severe. It will be judgment in its severest form. They speak of God's wrath, which is passionate rage. They speak of a, first, uh, a fierce anger. The word fierce means burning anger. It is an anger that is a scorching, a blistering anger. Intense indignation. They speak of it as a day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of agony, a day of horror. The word distress means narrowness. It means to be under extreme pressure. It will be a day that people will be pressured by the judgments of God. So what is the day of the Lord? It is a period when God intervenes in the affairs of humanity, in the affairs of the nations, and He pours out His anger on the unrepentant sinfulness of mankind. Now understand that God's anger, God's wrath is never out of control. It is never out of control. God never loses control when His fierce anger and wrath is poured out. His wrath is never out of control, but is always governed by His holiness and by His righteousness. It's a time of unsparing justice. It's a time when mercy is not given to the offender. He or she will receive justice and not grace. Justice and not mercy. Justice and not compassion from God. It's a period of punishment for the unrepentant sinner. It's a period of physical, moral, and spiritual darkness. Now... The day of the Lord has occurred several times in the Old Testament. The great flood in the days of Noah. Some of you will remember that in your Old Testament studies. The great flood in the days of Noah. 1,660 years after Adam was created in Eden, about 2,345 or so years before Christ, God said that He's looked upon all of mankind that He has created and their thoughts and their motives and their desires were on evil continuously. God said, I'm sorry that I created mankind and so I'm going to destroy them. And so He sent a flood and destroyed every living creature on the earth except Noah and his family and the pairs of animals that he collected in the ark. They were spared. Everything else 
was destroyed. Now you go back into the book of Genesis and you read about the great flood. It doesn't say that it's the day of the Lord, but it is a day of the Lord. It was a day of judgment. It was a day of destruction. It was a day of devastation. It was a day when the wicked, unrepentant sinners were wiped off the face of the earth. That was indeed a day of the Lord, even though that term was not used in the book of Genesis. In 740 to 722 B.C., before 740 B.C., before Jesus was born, God had warned the northern ten tribes of Israel that because of their wickedness, because of their evil, because of their idolatry, because of their following after false gods, because of their waywardness, because they had turned away from God and did not honor God and did not desire to have God in their lives, God had sent the prophets and warned the children of Israel, if you do not repent of your sin, I will send a great army to destroy you. And they laughed. Ha ha ha. We are the sons and daughters of Abraham. God is not going to hurt us. God is not going to punish us. God is not going to judge us until the king of Assyria came knocking on their door. And from 740 to 722 B.C., the Assyrian armies continued to fight against the Israeli army until 722 B.C. The northern ten tribes of Israel were utterly and completely destroyed by the Assyrian army. That was a day of the Lord. From 605 B.C. to 586 B.C., not just a a hundred or so years after the northern ten tribes of Israel were destroyed, God sent the prophets to Judah, the southern two tribes of Israel. Now understand, these are God's people. These are the Jews. These are the sons and the daughters of Abraham. These are the people of the Old Testament covenant. God sent the prophets to Judah and said, because of your sin, because of your wickedness, because of your evil, because you go after foreign gods, because your desires are on yourselves and on sin continually, because you have forsaken the Lord your God, because you have profaned the covenant of God, I will send judgment upon you and I will judge you because of your unrepentant sin. And they laughed. Ah, oh, God will never do that. We're God's people. We're the sons and daughters of Abraham. We're the people of the covenant. God would never judge us. And from 605 B.C. to 586 B.C., the kingdom of Babylon came knocking on Judah's door. And in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and his armies completely destroyed the southern nation of Judah. Completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Completely burned to the ground the temple of God. That was the day of the Lord. Years had passed. Those that were held captive in Babylon after 70 years were permitted to come home under King Cyrus the Persian, great King Cyrus the Persian. And they were permitted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They were permitted to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. It was only a shadow of its former glory, but nonetheless... The city was rebuilt and the temple was rebuilt and the people sighed and they were heartbroken because uh, what they were able to rebuild was nothing like what they had in their glory days. A number of years have passed. Several hundred years have passed. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The prophets foretold the coming of the Christ and he came born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. And for 30 years he was raised in Nazareth preparing for a three-year ministry in which he would declare the kingdom of God has come. 
and that the people of Israel, the Jews, the sons and the daughters of Abraham, could receive the kingdom that was promised to them in the old covenant. They could receive that kingdom if they would receive him as the Messiah and the king of the kingdom. And they laughed. And they scorned. And they criticized Jesus. They condemned him as being a false prophet. They condemned him as being a blasphemer. They condemned him as being a lunatic, a heretic. They nailed him to a cross. He was crucified. But before Jesus went to the cross in Matthew chapter 24 and in Mark, I believe, chapter 12 or 13, maybe 14. Jesus spoke to the disciples about a day that was coming, a day of the Lord, when everything that they enjoyed, everything that they experienced, everything that they were proud of in Jerusalem would be utterly destroyed. In 70 AD, Rome became tired of the Hebrew people and their continual grumbling and fighting and their continual uh, rebuffing and rebuking uh, the Roman emperor and the Roman empire. They fought against the Romans. They refused to pay taxes. They would not honor the laws of Rome. And finally, Rome got tired of it and said, we're going to deal with you people in a way that you understand. General Titus, the great legion of the Roman Empire, came in and completely destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jews were scattered to the four winds and had been until 1947, just recently, were able to come back to their homeland and declare themselves an independent state. But for several millennia, the Hebrew people were wandering like vagabonds in the earth because they did not believe the prophets of the Old Testament when they said the day of the Lord was coming. They did not believe Jesus Christ when he said the day of the Lord was coming. And the day of the Lord came, overtook them, and everything that they held dear was taken away from them, utterly destroyed, and they were thrown to the four corners of the earth. You have some examples of the day of the Lord in Scripture. But beloved, we also have some examples of the day of the Lord since the canon of Scripture has closed. There have been some very devastating things that have taken place on the earth that I believe were the expressed manifestation of God's wrath and God's anger upon the sinfulness of mankind. Now we want to look back upon those events and say, well, it was just a natural course of events. It was just nature gone awry. It was just things that got out of hand and so on and so forth. But beloved, there is nothing circumstantial or incidental with God and God's creation. Things happen for a reason. And it's when we are blind to those reasons and when we pass them off as being something other than what they truly are that that day of the Lord overtakes us. Now, let me say that, let me say this to say there's still yet another day of the Lord that is coming. There is another day of the Lord that is yet to come. We're going to be taking a look at that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So now we're in the New Testament. The Old Testament prophets have spoken of a coming day of the Lord. Several of them have come. And now Jesus has come. He spoke of a coming day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. AD 70 hasn't come yet. The Apostle Paul is still alive. So the day of the Lord had not come yet to the Jews in Jerusalem, but it will, and it did. 
But here the apostle in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 3, speaks of a future day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Now as to the times and to the epochs, or the ages. Brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord... So he's saying there is yet another day of the Lord that's on God's timetable, that's in God's schedule. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. That day that the, that the day should overtake you like a thief. We'll get to that in just a moment. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, A.D. 70 has come and gone. The Roman army has come into Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem. The Roman army has slaughtered Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jews have killed them because they fought against the Romans. The land was completely destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed. The temple was completely destroyed. And the Jewish people were scattered again to the four winds of the earth. Some 20 years after that took place, John the Apostle writes, in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 1 and verse 17. Revelation chapter 6. And I saw, this is John speaking, And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder. And I looked, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? John says... After all of the great days of the Lord that the prophets spoke of in the Old Testament, that Jesus warned of in Matthew 24, that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter spoke of, uh, the coming destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, now in A.D. 90, A.D. 92, somewhere along in that time, John the Apostle, the only living Apostle, left. All the other disciples have died. John is the only one alive. And he's out on the island of Patmos, the prison island of Patmos, because the Roman government banished him out there to shut him up. They didn't want him preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord God reveals to him yet another coming day of the Lord. And here you have in chapter 6, that day of the Lord as it begins here on the earth. And I'm here to say to you that that day has not come yet, but that day day is quickly coming. That day has not come yet, but that day is quickly coming, and it will be the final great and terrible day of the Lord, because when this day is over, and it's a period of time, not just a 24-hour day, when this judgment of God is over, all of the earth, all of the heavens, all of the creation, all of the universe will be utterly and completely destroyed, and God will start all over again. Now that day hasn't come, but it's coming. It's coming. And when it does, according to the passages that we've read, when it comes, it will come unexpectedly, it will come quickly, and it will come without warning. And when it comes, it will have an adverse effect on all of mankind and all of the created universe. And I would ask you to read from Revelation chapter 6 all the way through Revelation chapter 18 and realize what that great day of the Lord will look like. Because it's all there. 
It will cover a seven-year period of time called the tribulation. So it's not a 24-hour period. It is a seven-year period of time. And in that time, the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the earth because of man's unrepented wickedness, man's unrepented sinfulness, and man's desire to live his life independently from God. That day is coming. That day is fast approaching. But it's not going to have any effect on the Christian. It will have no effect on the Christian. And you may ask why. Well, I'm glad you asked because I'll tell you why. First of all, the judgment for sin has passed for the Christian. You see, the, the day of the Lord will come upon those who have not repented of their sin, who have ignored God, rebelled against God, who have continued to resist God, who have nothing to do with God in their lives. But for the Christian, that sinfulness, that wickedness, that evilness has now passed. That sin has already been judged. Christians are saved and their sins have been Forgiven. Turn back to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. John chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 19. I want you to look at verses 28, 29, and 30. Jesus is on the cross. He has been nailed to the cross. And he's been on the cross now for a couple of hours. The sky has grown dark. It's midday, but the sky is as dark as midnight. And Jesus is right at the end of his life. Verses 28, 29, and 30. After this, and notice the words carefully. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. You need to underline that. You need to note that. After all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop, and they brought it up to his mouth. You see, Jesus is on a cross, so he's suspended there. And in order to get to his mouth, they have to put something on a stick and reach up so he can drink it. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. He died. Verse 28 says, all things had already been accomplished. Verse 30, Jesus cried out, it is finished. The Greek word to tetelestai. Let's take it from the marketplace. And it means the debt has been paid. Uh, I'm sure most of you know that when you take out a loan, a car loan, a home loan, an equity loan, whatever, uh, you sign a contract. And when you have met all the conditions of the contract and you have paid all of the uh, payments that were due on that contract, then the bank will return that contract with you stamped paid in full. Or they'll stamp canceled. That's the same word that Jesus used here. Paid in full. The sin debt, your sin debt, my sin debt, has been paid in full through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now understand this, friends. This is all of your sin. Not part, not a few, not a itty bitty bit, but all of your sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for, your sin debt has been paid for, and your sin has been canceled by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. When you become a Christian, 
When you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your sin debt, you still have that sin debt in your heart, in your life, in your soul, until you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when you receive Him, then the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is applied into your life and your sin debt is canceled forever. Forever. All of my sin, all of your sin. All of the sins I've ever committed, as dark and as black and as hideous as they are, all of them. What about my sins today? All of them. What about the sins that I may commit tomorrow, next week, next month? All of them have been paid for by Jesus Christ and the sin debt has been paid in full. Do you get that? Do you understand that? You do not need to worry about standing before the Lord God in judgment. You will not stand before the Lord God in judgment. Well, what about what Paul says about the Bema Seat of Christ? We'll get to that when we get to that, but not today. It's unfortunate that the word is translated into the English as judgment because that's not what it is. But again, we'll get to that when we get to that. But you have no fear. If you're a Christian, if you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no fear of the day of the Lord. You have no fear of the coming tribulation. You have no fear of the outpouring of God's wrath upon the sinful and wicked mankind. You won't experience it. Your sin debt has been paid in full. It's been paid in full. The plan of salvation has been completed on the cross of Jesus Christ. The price of your redemption has been paid by His shed blood. And there is nothing you can do, there is nothing you can say that will add one scintilla of power and glory to the sin debt that has already been paid. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You cannot go out and steal it. You cannot do, you cannot memorize enough scripture. You can't join enough churches. You can't be baptized enough. You can't give uh, enough money for missions to add one scintilla of power to your salvation. Jesus paid it all. You can't pay any of it. He paid it all. You have nothing to fear of the coming day of the Lord. Mark chapter 10 verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Ransom? That's a payment. That's a payment. You were held hostage by sin. You were under the power of Satan. Jesus paid the ransom for your soul. He didn't pay it to Satan. He paid it to God. But you have been ransomed from sin. Matthew chapter 26 verse 28. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The death of Jesus on the cross was an atoning sacrifice for sin. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, We also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled to God. In Jesus Christ, you have been saved from the punishment of sin. In Jesus Christ, you have been ransomed from the power of sin that has held you hostage. In Jesus Christ, you have been made alive in spirit. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, wrote, This reconciliation with God is looked at as a past realization. Because Jesus died, it's a past realization. In contrast with the future consummation and a sure pledge and guarantee of it. How do I know that I am not going to experience the great and horrible and terrible day of the Lord? That cross says so. The cross of Jesus Christ says so. It is the guarantee to the believer. It is the guarantee that you will never, ever, in this life or the life to come, you will never face the wrath of God. There is no more judgment 
for sin in the life of a Christian. Did you hear me? There is no more judgment for sin in the life of a Christian. The wrath of God has been propitiated, that is, satisfied. Because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're still there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We've already read some of this. We're going to read the rest of it. Now as to the times and the, the epochs or the ages, brethren, you have no need of, of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, he's talking to Christians, you, brethren, and we may want to add sistren, there too. You, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons and daughters of light and sons of, and daughters of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. You got that? You got it? God has not destined us for wrath, ever. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You will never, ever, no, not ever face the wrath of God. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Now, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a period of judgment upon the wicked and sinful. It is a time of darkness. It is a time of God's wrath. In verse 4, Christians are not in darkness that the day will overtake them, seize them, possess them. They are the people of day. They are the people of light. In verse 9, God has not destined us, appointed us, ordained us, reserved for us the day of wrath but for salvation. Now, there's another reason why we don't need to fear the day of the Lord. Second, Jesus has promised to exempt us from the day of the Lord. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. To the Philippian church, excuse me, the Philadelphian church, Church, Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Revelation 3, starting at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to become... I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now note verse 10. Because you have kept my word... Because you have persevered, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. The promise of Jesus Christ to the faithful Christian, the promise of Jesus Christ to the faithful church is that they will not see the day of the Lord. Jesus said, I will save you from that. I will keep you from that. There is a third reason why we will not see the day of the Lord, and that is simply this. If you're a Christian, 
If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the day of the Lord is coming. But you're not going to be here. You're not going to be here. And if you are my age, and the day of the Lord, which is a seven-year period of time, the day of the Lord comes in ten years, I'll still be old enough to be alive. Old enough to be alive, whether I will be or not is another story. But some of you, some of you may be in your 20s, your 30s, or so on and so forth, and ten years from now is not a big, you know, not a big chunk of time. So if the day of the Lord comes and I'll be 30 or I'll be 40, then, you know, I won't die a natural death and I won't die of old age like pastor or something like that. So I may very well see it. No, you won't. Why? Because you won't be here. You won't be here. And you won't be here not because you've died. And you won't be here not because for some other reason that you have been taken out of the earth. You won't be here because of the day of Christ. You will not be here to see the day of the Lord because the day of Christ is going to happen before the day of the Lord comes. And if you are a Christian, when the day of Christ comes, you're out of here. You're out of here. In Revelation chapter 1, and we'll, we'll close with this. In Revelation chapter 1, John is an old, old man. He's in his 90s. And it's around 80, 93, 80, 92, somewhere. John's on the island of Patmos. And Jesus appears to him. The resurrected Christ appears to him because he wants John to write down God's plan for the ages. And that's what he does in the book of the Revelation. John is alive, the last living apostle of Jesus Christ on Patmos. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, you have the letters, seven letters that Jesus dictates to John to write down and to send to seven specific churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These churches were actual churches in the day of John the Apostle. But they represent all churches in all ages until Jesus comes again. Every characteristic that you'll find in these seven churches you will find in other churches that exist today. Sad, but true. Practically every church on the face of the earth has some of these characteristics of these seven churches active in the life of that church. These were specific letters, but they're also given to the church, the general church, throughout the ages. These seven churches represent all Christian churches throughout the Christian age. And notice, if you, if you look at chapter 2, to the angel of the church... You see that? Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus. Look down at verse 8. And to the angel of the church at Smyrna. Look down at verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Look down at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Look down at chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church at Sardis, verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, verse 14. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea. To the angel of the church, to the angel of the church, to the angel of the church. These letters are written after chapter 3. You don't hear about the church anymore. Church is not mentioned for the rest of the book. Why? Because the church is not here. Where is it? It's in heaven. It has been taken out of the earth at the day of Christ Jesus. We call that the rapture. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. It's called the rapture. Now listen to this. The day of Christ Jesus ends 
the age that you and I are living in. It's called the age of grace. It's called the age of the church, the church age. The day of Christ Jesus ends this age that we're living in and begins the day of the Lord. Two sides of the same coin. The moment the church is raptured out of the earth is the moment the day of the Lord, the final day of the Lord, begins. And you won't be here. No individual who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be here. We will be taken out of the earth to be with the Lord in heaven when God's wrath is poured out upon the earth in that great day of the Lord. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 4 and then we'll close. Revelation chapter 4. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately, you see, did you hear that at the close of verse 1? I will show you what must take place after these things. After the church is gone, this is what's going to take place on the earth. The great day of the Lord begins. Immediately I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting upon the throne. And he was sitting was like a jasper stone and sardius in the appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne, what? Twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Who are these 24 elders? What are these 24 thrones? Twelve of them belong to the Christian church. Twelve of them belong to the Old Testament saints. Twelve is the number of God's government. You had twelve tribes of Israel. You had twelve apostles of Jesus. Twelve is the number of spiritual governance. The Old Testament saints, all the saints of the New Testament, are gathered around the throne of God, represented by these 24 elders on 24 thrones. And didn't God say that the 12 elders of the Old Testament and the, the 12 apostles of the New Testament would be with Him to govern the kingdom when it comes? Yes, he did. Here again, after chapter 3, when the great day of the Lord begins, the church is not here in the earth anymore. It's in heaven. So you don't need to fear the great and terrible day of the Lord that is coming upon the earth. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've confessed him, and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, when the great day of the Lord comes, you'll be gone. You'll be in heaven with the saints of the Old Testament, with all of the Christians since the days of Christ. And you'll not experience the great and terrible day of the Lord. So what is the day of Christ? What is the day of Christ? It's the time when Jesus, when Jesus Christ comes from heaven to take his people out of the earth to be with him in glory. And I'll speak more on this next Sunday and in the coming Sundays because there's, a, there's an entire agenda in the New Testament about what's going to happen to us when we leave this life. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the rewards, the bema of Christ. We'll talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll talk about what we're going to be doing if we die today. And some of you have loved ones that have died that are Christian. What are they doing in heaven right now? We'll talk about that. What will we be doing in heaven during the seven-year tribulation period? We'll be talking about that. So um, the day of Christ, we'll begin to look at that starting next Sunday. But I do want to ask... And I do want to state, those of you who have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. David, when he was leading us in, in, in uh, singing as service began, 
he picked songs that emphasized grace. Grace. For those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are alive today because of God's grace. You are alive today because of God's grace. And you are here today by God's grace. And you've heard this sermon today by God's grace. God wants you to know that if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now is the acceptable time. Now is the time when you should come before the Lord God, repent of sin, and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Why? Because we don't know when the day of Christ will come. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen before this day is over. It could happen before this new week is out. There is nothing in Scripture that tells us when Jesus is coming back again, but we know that He is, and it could happen this very day. And if you don't know Jesus, and I'm not here to put fear in your heart, I'm just here to simply tell you the truth. If you do not know Jesus, when the day of Christ comes, you will be left here on the earth to face the day of the Lord because it will happen seven years for seven long years after the Christians are gone. And you do not want to face that great and terrible day of the Lord. Stand with me. David, come and lead us. Here's the invitation. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. Oh, there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and know Christ, here it is. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful about who this Jesus is and about how to begin a relationship with him. I'll be standing here and I'd like to talk with you after the service. David will be here. I will be here. Pastor Chris will be here. There are scores of individuals who can talk to you about what it is to be saved and how you can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, as we leave the house, may we leave in... For Jesus Christ, who died for us, who rose again, and who is coming again to receive us into his kingdom. Father, bless us as we go from the house, uh, that we might look upon the fields that are white unto harvest, and we might share with someone before the day ends, we might share with someone the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's in his name we've gathered, and it's in his name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you and have a great day. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.